Greetings, this is Pastor Daryl Hall from The Way Community Church, where we are showing people the way to life with Jesus. Welcome to our podcast, where you can hear our weekly Sunday sermons. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and also our website, thewaycc.online. All right, let's dive into the word. I truly believe that as you enter this holiday season, God is going to make a way for you to navigate all the emotions, all the grief, all the anxiety, or the joy and happiness that you may feel. I'm believing God that you won't be overwhelmed emotionally over this next 30 days. How many people know he'll make a way? He'll make a way. He'll do it. And so for the last month or a couple weeks or so, we've been having this conversation about healing, help, and hope for the holidays so that you are strengthened and prepared for what you may experience emotionally as you engage with family, friends, coworkers, and what have you. I'm glad that, that God has resourced his church with people who are anointed and gifted and credentialed to speak into our lives. And so our lead counselor is a LPC. She's a licensed professional counselor, and she's going to join me on stage. We're going to have a conversation and kind of hear from her heart about some ways we can experience help, hope, and healing this holiday season. Can you give God praise for Alicia Walker as she comes? Paul. Good morning, Alicia. How are you today? I appreciate you so much for joining me uh, and for all the work you've done behind the scenes to help us as a church prepare to respond to the uh, emotional and and spiritual and mental needs of our congregation. And uh, in 2024, we'll roll out some projects and strategies that Alicia has been designing and working on. And you all will see more clearly some of the resources we have in place or we want to put in place to help meet you at your point of need. I asked Alicia to join me today, though, because I think just a good conversation and some dialogue will be helpful for her to kind of speak into some of the things I've been preaching about and maybe some of the um, some of the questions we may have about how to navigate the emotional ups and downs of the holiday season. How many people by show of hands need some help, hope, and healing this holiday? Yeah, me too, me too, me too. If you're in the room and you don't, think about somebody in your life who does. Okay, sometimes a word is not for you. It may be through you for somebody else. So think of somebody about somebody in your life who does and how you might be able to gain something that can encourage their heart. So a few weeks ago, Alicia, I shared a list of uh, tips that I got from Indiana University of Pennsylvania about how to cope with holiday depression and stress. Do you want to elaborate on any of those? Do any of those stick out to you? Or could you just help us maybe on a couple of those think through what that looks like for us? Um, I actually wanted to add a little bit to it cool. if I could. Yeah, you can. Uh, I think that during the holidays, especially this time of year, it can be a joyous occasion, but it can also be a sad occasion, um, especially if you've had any loss during this season. So some of us might be remembering those people who aren't here anymore, or if you have um, just maybe strenuous relationships, I'll put it like that. And so some of the tips I just wanted to share today were pray, pray before that day, pray be during this season, be in constant communication with God. 
Um, control what you can control. That sounds very basic, but it is, it's serious. Like, I can't control you. Yeah. You are you. I can only control me. And I think so often we butt heads with other people because we're trying to make them do or push them to do or we want them to be something other than, but control what you can control, which is really just you. Yeah. Um, the other one I want to say is called radical acceptance. Mm. And that's a term from, I'm going to use the big, big, um, therapeutic um, intervention that it's a part of is a part of what's called dialectical behavior therapy. That's a big mouthful, but radical acceptance is what black people do already. It is what it is. Accepting things for what they are, accepting that, you know, if you have a family member that is high strung, that is going to turn the, you know, occasion upside down, you can't change them. They are who they are. But what can you do in the moment to control what you can control, which is you, and not engage in that? Um, make clear boundaries. If you and your partner are going somewhere together for the holidays and, you know, there might be some tension, create a boundary ahead of time. We will stay from this time Amen. to this time. <laughs> We will only engage if it's in a positive atmosphere. And if I give you the signal, it's time to go. Yep. Um, one of the things that I don't think we as a community do enough of, we react a lot. Um, we are triggered because of our own histories. But I want you to plan ahead how you will self-soothe which means plan ahead for how you will take care of yourself in the moment. If you are triggered, if you are overwhelmed, if this is a season where you have loss and you're reminded of that loss, I was just sharing with my family in the car. My aunt just passed a couple weeks ago. We had two weeks of services because of her stature in the community. And I said, um, you know, I'm not cooking the turkey this year because if I cook the turkey, I might cry mm -hmm. because I learned how to cook a turkey from my aunt. Mm -hmm. So if you have those moments, know what you need to do to take care of you. Don't push it down. Don't ignore it. Take care of it. So self-soothing can be, <laughs> I know some of y'all are, you know, laughing at the um, Andre 3000 new flute album and some don't even know who that is. However, Somebody laughing. Um, that album is very soothing. You know, so if you're in the moment and you have some earbuds and somebody is yelling in the other room, just pop in his album right quick and just zone out for a minute and come back. Um, if you need to breathe, we learned several months ago about breathing exercises. Um, do things that take care of you, even if I know sometimes in church when when I feel the spirit, and I'm sorry, I'm going too long. No, you're good. <laughs> when the spirit is high for me, one of the ways that I self-soothe is just rocking, mm -hmm. you know, in the moment. I can't really do it with holding this at the same time, but they're just rubbing your shoulders. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's the connection with another person. If somebody is with you that you feel um, helps you, 
hold their hands, mm -hmm. give a hug, connect with somebody else. Um, and then this kind of goes in with the other, be mindful of things that take you back to where you were before, mm -hmm. right? Um, beware of the cycles. We as a community cycle through things, um, good, bad, and ugly, and we pass it down from one generation to the next. So be mindful of how you act and interact yeah. out of the fight, flight, freeze, because sometimes that arguing, that yelling, even that, what did you put in your potato salad? <laughs> can trigger you and being mindful of how you react in the fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And people don't talk about the fawn a lot, but fawn is like those people in the room that are people pleasers. You're triggered, so I'm just going to help clean up everything. I'm going to make sure I bring this thing and that thing. I'm going to make sure mama is taken care of, daddy's taken care of. Nobody has to worry about anything because you're trying to bring down the heat in the room. Yeah. But in the meantime, you're not taking care of yourself. And I think it was Martha yeah. was the one who was doing that. If you think about Martha and Mary... Martha was the one who was like working. working hard and trying to make sure everything was taken care of, but she was people pleasing. So be mindful of those things. And the last thing I would say is be physically and mentally present. You're there. Don't disassociate, meaning don't check out. And then it's five minutes later and you're back. Yeah. Be physically present. We have to learn how to deal with issues in the moment, manage it in our bodies, don't allow ourselves to be overwhelmed, and take care of ourselves. Yeah, that's good. Can we thank God? I mean, wow. That's very helpful. And if you miss some of the tips that Alicia shared, it'll be on our, uh, on our podcast and on our YouTube. Uh, you can go back and listen to it uh, this week. Before we move to the next question, I would like everybody at the same time, let's take a deep breath, hold it for three seconds, and breathe out slowly. Let's do it one more time. Okay. I oftentimes take deep breaths just to regulate kind of how I'm feeling. So a few weeks ago, we were... Um, having a one-on-one -on -one meeting and you were sharing with me about this concept called Adverse Childhood Experiences. And it's an acronym for ACE and it's a test that you could take. Ten questions. For every question you get right is one point. And the higher your score, the more, uh, you know, health issues and risks you can have as, as an adult and the more relational issues you may have as an adult. And so I kind of shared that in a sermon somewhat a couple of weeks ago, but my question for you is, can you share ways for us to help overcome or counteract our A score in order to experience fuller lives? So I'll back up just a little bit and explain a little bit about the ACE. It's Thank called you. the Adverse Childhood Experiences, and it was developed by two researchers, one from the CDC and one from Kaiser. And basically what they found was across all demographics, across all income levels um, in the U.S., 
there were categories of issues that we experienced as traumatic before the age of 18. And so if you take this 10 question um, survey, you get an A score. You can go online, it's, a, it's different questions. But what I find very um, interesting when I do uh, trainings around trauma, specifically in the black community, one of the questions is asking about physical abuse, mm. right? And sometimes what we experienced growing up with the spankings, there's a level of spanking that goes beyond just spanking. And sometimes I get the question of, what do you mean by physical abuse? Because for us, there is a line, a very fine line of what was and wasn't done and how we were and weren't treated. Um, and it still impacts us, right? And so the reason why the A score to me is very important to the black community is we are the highest in everything you can think of as far as illnesses, diabetes, high blood pressure, um, heart issues, dementia, Alzheimer's everything across the sun. And it is because we have so many other stressors that other communities don't have. Mm -hmm. And so the ACE is important to understand um, where you are because one of the researchers said, what's predictable is preventable. Yeah. So if you're aware of what was going on with you, then you can do different things to counteract. And some of what I've already shared can help um, counteract those things because what tends to happen when you have a higher ACE score, your body is dysregulated. You're always, you know, I call it like your body feels like it's humming. Mm -hmm. um, if you are familiar with a computer, you have, I'm notorious for this. I will have a thousand, literally a thousand tabs open <laughs> and my computer is about to explode. <laughs> Some of us feel like that, though. We have yeah. a thousand tabs open. Wow. And we are just humming in the background. And our bot, our battery is getting depleted. Mm. So finding things to replenish your battery. Some of the things I've already shared, but it's, it's individual to you. Understanding how your body um, is affected, especially when you are in a stressful or anxiety producing situation, but also realizing that if you don't manage your stress, and I don't think this is something you shared, but people who have a higher A score are four, five, six times more likely to get all these different illnesses that I named, but you're also more likely to have a, a shortened life expectancy. Mm. So that is the reason why I shared it with Pastor Hall. That is the reason why I felt like it was important for Dr. Hall to understand it because we can reverse it. We can do other things. We can take care of ourselves. We can get out of the patterns that we've learned and do things differently. Yeah. Man, that analogy of open tabs is so powerful because some of us in the room got tabs that's been open for 20, 30 years. And we don't even realize it's pulling on our energy today of things we experience that we either forgot about, suppressed, um, you know, minimized. So that was a beautiful analogy. Thank, Thank you. you for sharing that. Can I just say something else quickly? Yes, please that do. Sometimes we think these things only impact us, 
individually, but all of these things impact our relationships. So if you're dating, if you're in a relationship, if you're in a, a parent, mm-hmm. or you're just a coworker, mm-hmm. all of these things that are pulling on you impacts how you act and interact with the people that are important to you. So even if you don't do it for yourself, do it for those people that are important to you. Yeah. You know what? It just made me think of a, a just a faith declaration. Um, particularly, we, we just dedicated some children to the Lord. My prayer for those children is their, their A score is lower than their parents. That's my prayer for my children. I want my children to have a lower A score than me, right? You, you talked about the cycles of a generation. I think if we, first of all, pray by faith, and then number two, the actions that reflect that faith, I believe we can reduce the, the trauma in the next generation and uh, help them get started with a healthier start emotionally. Yeah. yeah. So another question, what, what role does a good community play in emotional well-being? So when I'm doing counseling with people, one of the ways that I assess their mental health or their mental wellness is what kind of social support they have. If you've ever gone through any type of illness or issue that you couldn't handle on your own, the people that were there to support you made the difference in how well you handled it. Even when it comes to trauma with children, the number one way that children can manage and get through trauma is when they have just one person that cares about you. So if that kid has gone through whatever that trauma might have been, from abuse to um, neglect to a parent who is mentally ill to um, alcohol and drug abuse or a parent that's been incarcerated, if there was just one big mama, if there was just one pop-up, if there was just one TT, if there was just one youth counselor, mm-hmm. one youth minister, one lead pastor, that said, I see you, I want to be there for you, and I want to support you, that child can manage and get through that trauma. But it's the same for us. Some of you are familiar with our story, but our youngest daughter had sickle cell. I said had, because the Lord blessed us that she was healed with a bone marrow transplant. And a lot of us are very proud you need help, you don't ask for it. We were very proud. You are taught to take care of yourself, handle your business, and sometimes don't tell your business outside of this house, right? But we were in a season where we couldn't do it by ourselves. It was no way. There was no way. And the difference for us making it through that season was the support of our community. So this church and what we do here and the direction under our pastor provides the support that somebody in this room needs. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. It's like normally mid-sermon, if we were in a crescendo, I would say something like, turn to your neighbor (laughs) and sing them. (laughs) But we're going to do that in this still moment. All right. I want us to turn to our neighbors on our left and right and tell them, I see you. God sees you and you are loved. I see you. God sees you and you are loved. 
Tim, I see you. God sees you. You are love. I see you. Alicia, I see you. Can I just say that you're saying that to somebody in this room, I don't know who it was for, they needed to hear that. Yeah. They needed to know that God sees them because they thought God forgot about them. Yeah. But God sees you, he knows you, and you are love. Yeah. I think um, community is important regardless of social rank. Um, and I'm saying that in the sense of, I understand in this social dynamic that as senior pastor that gives me positional authority and influence, but it doesn't put me personally above the same need for community that you all have. Um, something interesting happened in our leadership meeting yesterday. I'm not going to go too far. I'm going to just share a little bit. So we had a leaders meeting yesterday and we ended it. And I just felt compelled to thank each of the leaders for specific things they've done to help make the way what it is in year number one. So I was prepared to um, uh, close the meeting. And then Adrian, stand up real quick, Adrian. <laughs> he, he interrupted me. With that same, appreciate it, that same spunk that he just gave the welcome, he interrupted me and was like, no, 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 no. And he gave space for each one of the leaders to go around and speak words of appreciation to me. And it filled my heart. Like, you, you have a, you know when you have a good cry, you just want to take a nap. Y'all, I was sleepy all day long and I had just gotten out of the bed, but I appreciate so much the community that doesn't see rank or authority and, and then dehumanize that in the sense that, you know, in a community, regardless of social rank, we can't have pride like we don't need one another. That's the point I'm getting at, that we're interdependent, we're mutually um you know, giving up life and encouragement and supporting one another. And I want to thank the leaders who did that for me yesterday. Y'all made my day. I went in the air. I said, babe, I just cried. She said, what happened? <laughs> and then she gave me a hug. Right? I felt good. All right. So. Uh, last question. So what about the people in the room who are already healed? They full of hope. <laughs> they, are, they got all the help they need. They happy during this holiday season. How can they share some of that, that fullness with other people? I think what you just said, just share that fullness with other people because you never know the impact of your just saying, I see you, God sees you. Yeah. And then you just giving them a hug. I think I shared it with you and I think you shared it in a sermon that we're in the middle of a loneliness epidemic. Like mm. the Surgeon General put out a report. I'm sorry, I, I can nerd out, but anyway. <laughs> the Surgeon General put out a report that there, the loneliness factor in the U.S. has just exploded exponentially, especially after the pandemic. People were isolated and some people are still isolated. A lot of us work from home, so there's not a lot of human interaction. So I'm so happy to see so many people in the room. But when we get up to greet somebody and wish them, you know, 
happy to see you this Sunday. You have no idea for somebody else that yeah. might have been the only physical interaction they've had. Yeah. My husband works at a, a middle school and one of the women who started working with them right after the pandemic, he's a hugger. I mean, y'all see him, he hugs everybody. And he has these amazing hugs that he gives. And this woman said, you know, that's the best hug and that's the first hug I've received in two years. Cause she was alone during the pandemic. But that was a pandemic. Somebody else in here lives just like that. Yeah lives just like that. And just because you have other people around you doesn't mean you're not lonely. So I'm asking for those of us who are in a season where we have more to give, give it. Yeah. But there are seasons when you don't have as much to give and that's okay. But understanding that you don't have to be too proud to look for and accept. I just wanna give you a hug. The Holy Spirit told me to come give you a hug. Holy Spirit told me to call you. Do not ignore when the Holy Spirit tells you to check on somebody. Yeah. I did that maybe three weeks ago. A friend of mine was getting ready to start, um, go back to work after an illness. And I called her and I, no, I texted her and said, you know, just checking on you. Hope you have a great day tomorrow. First day back to school. And her text back to me was, I'm not going in tomorrow. My mom just died. Mm. I had no clue. I was just following the Holy Spirit. So use the Holy Spirit as your God. There's somebody in this room before you leave today. Just be mindful and prayerful of who is God leading you towards yeah. to speak directly to them or just to give them a hug. Because if you have been, if you're in a season of overflow, Now's the time for you to give out of your overflow. Yep. Amen. Can we give God praise for Alicia? Amen. Thank God for the woman of God. I pray your heart is encouraged. I won't hold you for long. We'll just look at Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And I just want to share a little bit from God's word. Thank God for Alicia. We pray the Lord will refill her from what she's given out, what she's poured out. Mark 14, if you're able, you can stand on your feet. It'll be quick. I'm going to read verse 12, and then we're going to read verse 17 through 20 from the NIV version. Mark chapter 14, verse 12, and then verse 17 through 20. It says, on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Verse 17, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the 12. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one, they said to him, surely you don't mean me. It is one of the 12, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. All right, as we go into this Thanksgiving holiday, I want to talk today with this simple thought in mind, eating with the enemy. I mean, friends, <laughs> you may be seated. 
in the presence of our God, eating, eating with friends. Because family relationships can be complex. Some of us um, will swap out Thanksgiving for something called Friendsgiving. How many of y'all ever heard of Friendsgiving? Yeah, it's like a new phenomenon that's kind of sweeping maybe in the last couple of years, maybe last 10 years or so, where friends come together, maybe for a potluck on Thanksgiving or around Thanksgiving, and they share this meal together um, because they would prefer to spend time with people that they chose, not people that DNA chose. <laughs> and so Friendsgiving is, is, is this, this popular phenomenon between relationships. I think what it reflects is all of us as people, regardless of how old we get or how young we are, we desire healthy friendships. Okay, I can look back over my life. I'm 37 now. And in each decade of my life, um, there were different value systems I had for the friends I picked. So from a teenager to a 20 something now to a 30 something. But that same desire for healthy friendships hasn't changed. As a matter of fact, I think it's deeper than it was even 10 years ago. It's something about aging and realizing um, how fragile you are as a human being how tough life can be and how um, frustrating it can be to try to be understood and understand others, that it deepens that desire for just healthy friendships. And so um, Jesus, I think, gives us a picture of how to sit at a table with some of your closest friends who you know are about to do you wrong. I'm going to be honest. I don't know how Jesus did it. Um, I don't know how he wasn't on ready. I don't know how Nuck If You Buck was not playing in in the background. Uh, (laughs) But Jesus, as our model, is the way, and he shows us the way to engage in the trickiness of friendships. There's one verse. It's weird because in different uh, versions of the, the, the Bible is translated a little differently, but it kind of reflects what we think or may feel about friendships. It's Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 24. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24. In the New King James Version, it says, a man or a person who has friends must themselves be friendly. But there is a friend that what, church? Sits closer than a brother. Same verse, different version. Look at it in the NIV. It says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who what, church? Same verse, different version. New American Standard Bible. A person of too many friends (laughs) comes to ruin. What are you saying, Solomon? But there is a friend who what, church? This closer, right? In each of these verses, what we see, each of these translations of the same verse, we see the complexity of friendship. Isn't that what friendship is like? <laughs> if you want more friends, maybe you should be more friendly. <laughs> if you got friends who told you that you could depend on them in the moment you need them, if they prove to be unreliable, it could be ruinous for you. Or if you spread yourself too thin where you got too many friends and everybody your friend uh, 
you might lose the potency of a few good people. But in all of these, a good friend is better than family. It is likely between now and New Year's Eve that you're going to eat with some friends. And so as your friend, as your brother in Christ, as your pastor, I just want to share some wisdom from this experience with Jesus to help you sit at these tables emotionally and spiritually full. We've been on this series again for the last couple of weeks. We started looking at Jeremiah. Then we went to James. <laughs> last week we talked about Joseph. And now we're talking about Jesus. I promise you I did not pick these J's on purpose. It just kind of happened like that. Last week we looked at Joseph. He was eating with family who had done him wrong. Today we're looking at Jesus who's eating with friends who are about to do him wrong. During the biggest Jewish holiday, he's having a feast with his closest, 12 of his closest friends, right before they all break his heart within the next 24 hours. Here's, I think, the big idea that we gain from this, and that is this. God can help you eat with friends who will or who might hurt you. God can help you eat with friends who will or who might hurt you. Has anybody by show of hands ever been hurt by a friend? All right. I think if it's still a wound and not a scar, that some of the things I'm going to say may be more difficult to accept. But when that wound heals and becomes a scar, my hope is you can gain wisdom from that experience. I'm going to give you four pieces of advice I think that Jesus personifies. Here's the first thing. Don't allow the possibility of future hurt to stop current fellowship. Don't allow the possibility of future hurt to stop current fellowship. So Jesus is sitting at the table with the 12. Okay, Jesus knows all things. He knows what's about to happen. He knows one of them is going to betray him. He knows one of them is going to deny him, even though he swore he wouldn't. And he knows the other 10 are going to abandon him while he's on trial for something he didn't do. But knowing this, he still sat down to eat with them anyway. I believe that it's relationally unhealthy to avoid fellowship today because you might get hurt tomorrow. But I get it, right? We just talked about this A score. Scars and wounds we have from past traumatic experiences. Sometimes it feels easier to be alone and safe than to be with friends and vulnerable. But we lose out on the current joy because of fear of pain that may or may not happen in the future. Think about it. We don't know the future. Jesus knew it. He knew they was going to hurt him and still ate with him. We, we think they might kind of switch up on us and we like, nah, I'm going to go on and distance myself. You're like, why? What happened? They just said, hello. <laughs> and I already know people who say hello be fake. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so the question is this. How do we carry ourselves when every human friendship has the potential of hurt. Here's a second piece of advice Jesus shows us. Sit at tables as one who gives more than they take. 
You see, don't avoid the table. Just show up to the table different. When you show up to the table in need of or seeking to withdraw stability for inner self, then I think you're already predisposed to the inevitable being more traumatic. But when you show up at a table with more to give than you have to take back, then who you are as a person is not based on what the people at the table do or don't do for you. Jesus's adequacy was anchored in God so he could be settled when we would have been on edge. Think about if it, if it was us sitting at that table, knowing what they was going to do in less than 24 hours, I would not have been calm, collected. <laughs> I would have been on edge. But what Jesus shows us is that this type of individuation, meaning my identity is anchored in God, this makes us healthy enough to love powerfully. When we are needy in friendships and we need them to stabilize our identity, we set ourselves up to make the trauma down the road worse than it would have been if we were healthier before the hurt happened. Jesus sat at the table as one who gave more than he took or who supplied more than he needed. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus didn't have relational needs. And this doesn't mean that we have to minimize our legitimate interpersonal needs. What it does mean is I make the choice to be an emotional giver instead of an emotional taker. And if I make the choice to be an emotional giver, I do so without expectation of return knowing that I'm giving out of a fullness that no person gave me and no person can take. Amen, church. Number three, when hurt is looming, speak truthfully, but sparingly. <laughs> I don't know what it is about when somebody hurts your feelings or you think they're about to, that it's real hard to bite your tongue. <laughs> And uh, I can't say I mastered it, but Jesus has. Jesus is sitting at the table with 12 people he know finna do him wrong, who he did right these last three years, right? He says, one of y'all is going to betray me. You notice what he didn't say? He didn't say what the other 11 was going to do. <laughs> but he knew what they was going to do too. Here's what he could have said. If it was me, this is what I would have said. <laughs> Judas, yeah, bro, you finna betray me because you foul and you be stealing. And if you'll steal, you'll kill. That's what my grandma said. <laughs> Peter, bro, I already told you you was gonna deny me, but you don't wanna believe me, though. We're gonna see. When the roots cock a doo do. Peter, cock a doo do. Remember that. <laughs> if it was me. And the rest of y'all, nah, y'all ain't even solid. There's 10 of y'all, but we ain't 10 toes down. <laughs> Bartholomew, yeah, you. <laughs> right? We would have been tempted to call them out. Jesus never mentioned it. It's important sometimes when your feelings are hurt to share some of what you know without sharing all that you know. Because you got to save your breath to save your energy. His friends were finna do him wrong 
And that was going to lead to him being on the cross. But it was really God's will that he be on that cross. So Jesus saves his breath at the table so he can use it when he's hanging on the cross. <laughs> my God, my God, why you forsake me? He saves his breath at the table so he can use it in the garden. <laughs> when he realized what was finna go down, he knew he needed to save his breath so he can save his energy. And I believe that the reason why some of us have no energy to pray is because we wasted all our energy trying to clap back, get even, call people out, and settle the score. That clap back energy, that should be prayer energy. <laughs> when you know your feelings hurt or they finna get hurt, just save your breath. Because it's going to take every ounce of strength you got to walk through this the right way and come out of this better than the way you went in. So you can't even waste your breath on Judas who done already sold you out for 30 pieces of silver. Is there anybody who can testify, Lord, help me. Help me to work through this. But I feel you, though. It's difficult, but it's not impossible. And Jesus is our model. Here's the first thing, and I'm going to let you, the fourth thing, and I'm going to let you go. All right, number one, don't allow the possibility of future hurt to stop current fellowship. Here's all I'm saying. Go hang out. Right? But when you show up, show up full. Show up with more to give than, than, than more to take. And number three, when you know hurt is looming, when you see it's going to go left, Save your breath because you're going to need that energy to work through what's going to happen. Number four, and I'll let you be. Number four, be spiritually mature enough to know how to restore relationships. All right? It's not easy. I don't have fallouts with some of my closest friends. One of my closest friends, he don't believe that you can love somebody and not like them. <laughs> I was like, I, clear, I believe that. He was like, why you believe that? I said, because I didn't like you for like three years. <laughs> but you still my dog. <laughs> He'll be here to preach next year too. <laughs> That's my dog for life. But for like three years, though, it was like on sight. <laughs> That's because relationships go through ups and downs ebbs and flows. And it's not just the hurt people bring in our life. Sometimes it's the hurt we bring in theirs. So what happens when a relationship or a friendship is on rocky ground or is fractured? I think then we need the wisdom Jesus offers to be spiritually mature to know how to restore relationships and look, have the wisdom to know what relationships to, to, to restore. All right. He got Judas and Peter at the same table. But he knows the difference between Judas and Peter. And one relationship ended terribly. And one relationship in John 20 and 21 was restored. All right. When you look at Judas and Peter, they got so much in common that I had to ask the Lord, how do you know the difference between the two? Because we got friends around us and we trying to figure out which one Judas and which one Peter. <laughs> Am I the only one? Listen to these things they got in common. Judas and Peter. Judas was a disciple picked by Jesus. 
Peter was a disciple picked by Jesus. Judas, Satan tempted him with money. For Peter, Satan sifted him like wheat. All right. Now it's going to start to get a little, a little nuance. Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Peter denied Jesus. Judas felt regret after he got the silver. Peter felt remorse after he heard the cock-a-doo-doo-doo. <laughs> Judas eliminated himself. Peter punished himself. With Judas, the relationship was ruptured forever. With Peter, the relationship was restored. Here's all I'm saying. Sometimes we don't know who Judas is until Judas does. Here's what I want to encourage you not to do. Don't kill the 11 trying to keep the one from killing you. God didn't call us to live lonely or alone. And we so paranoid about Judas stabbing us in the back that we would double cross the 11 who, who we can restore in the future trying to keep the one from stabbing us in the back. Judas is as Judas does. So instead of trying to predict it, let Judas be Judas. Let Peter be Peter. And usually Judas's eliminate themselves, which is so heartbreaking. Can we have a real conversation? We already have a real conversation. You ever had a friend who did you wrong and you would have forgave them, but they kept being foul after they did you wrong? Judas is as Judas does. Right? All your friends going to hurt your feelings one point, one time or another. But I'm talking about that friend you really love and you like, really? <laughs> so you're you just going to add insult to injury. I was over it. I dropped it. I processed it. I worked through it. Right? It wasn't cool, but it is what it is. And I would have been cool to rock with you in peace, but for whatever reason, you you let it go, but they can't let it go. Sometimes people will show you who they are and then you let them be who they are for everybody else. Be prayerful if it's a space or a time for restoration. And understand that that restoration happens in God's way. Here's my hope as you, um, as you sit at tables this holiday season. If you got to eat with family that's already hurt you, or if you're going to eat with friends who may one day hurt you, my belief is that God is going to give you the strength to do both. Amen. Amen. Give God a hand clap of praise if you would.